Quack, quack, quack. Y'all, we're playing the Golden Bears this Saturday. The Cal Golden Bears. Oregon versus Cal is something that literally has been going on for over 100 years. I believe the first time we ever played 1899. Holy Cal. Cal won 12 to 0, by the way, in that game. Um, the reason why I have Oregon Cal Wikipedia uh, Winsipedia up right now is because this is this is an interesting one. 42, 42 and two. That is the record between Oregon and Cal. It is tied at 42 wins apiece, two ties. And this game, this game that may be the last matchup between these two teams for quite a while will determine the grudge match here and not only that if if anyone knows wins i'm sure y'all do uh they break down in categories a lot of like all-time record how many bowl games you've been to how many heisman winners national championships etc um even that we are basically tied in it is crazy because of course cal has five national championships uh, something that kind of blew my mind that I did not know. So this is a historic one for many, many reasons. It's it's a sad one, but also, it, I don't know. Who knows? Like, I'm, I'm also a bit afraid because Cal has been close to not a whole bunch of upsets. Well, in, in a way, some upsets on this very podcast with um, Hithliday of Addicted to Quack, a managing editor and film reviewer over there. How's it going, Hithliday? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. On this podcast, we have talked about Cal, tried to pull off some long shots here. We said they would lose to Idaho. It felt like that was going to happen for a minute there. And then we said they would beat USC, and it very nearly happened. This team has been uh, uh, up and down. I am excited to talk about this roster, though. Uh, and I'm excited to talk to dear friend of the podcast, Rob Wong. Rob Wong of Right for Cal of the California Golden Bear cast. How you doing, Rob? It's game. It's another game week. It's it's like uh, <laughs> it's like every time I, we're invited onto these uh, Pac-12 podcasts, like I, I get the feeling of the players and the old fans of like, we're not going to be playing these teams because I'm not going to be talking to you guys anymore. I, I got to go. I got to go talk to Virginia Tech and Virginia and, oh, and God. SMU and <laughs> Louisville. And it's it's crazy. Well, how do you think I feel like, like <laughs> I, you know, we're we're going from the Pac-12, which has the appropriate number of cows, which is one, yes, to the Big Ten, which has like eight cows, uh, but they're all like great value brand cow. Yes. Yeah. Say uh, hello, Brian Ferentz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh they're all God. like, what if you took cow out of the beautiful, culturally, historically, technologically, economically significant, beautiful uh, Bay Area and put it in the middle of a cornfield? And also it had no accomplishments whatsoever. <laughs> and also there's like eight of them. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to really get my appreciation for corn up there. So I'm trying mm -hmm. to eat it every day. Um well, let's let's just get right into this Cal roster because I am a bit nervous about this game because I feel like Cal has an upset in them and they haven't, you know, like they haven't done it yet. And I'm kind of afraid that maybe this is one of those crazy, wacky week tens where Oregon gets egg on its face. That would be very fitting for a final Pac-12 season. So uh, hopefully they take it away. 
Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, uh, most of the reason that I picked uh, Cal to beat USC was because I thought that USC was going to lose all their games, which I still do. Uh, But like a good part of it was like, you know, I hope Cal gets this their upset thing out of their system, you know, before they play the Ducks. Um, (laughs) Yeah, man, like, I I, I don't know. The the thing that's been, you know, uh, of course, most remarkable about Cal over the last three games is, you know, since they finally switched to Mendoza, the the offense is a hell of a lot better. I mean, not just look, literally is. I I have all the FBS games charted, and it's like, it's not quite fair to say who is the great quarterback or not, but, you know, I do have, like, you know, success rates on plays for different quarterbacks being in. And, you know, when Sam Jackson is in, they have a 28% passing play success rate, which is amazing. Like that's amazingly terrible. And when Finley was in, it's a 46% success rate. And then when Mendoza is in, it's a a 54% success rate and they're passing for 7.3 yards per attempt, which is like you know, like 2.3 yards per attempt better than Jackson. It's uh, uh, about 0.75 yards per attempt better than Finley. 17% explosiveness, which is just straight up good. Like like that dude hits, you know, 15 plus yard passes. Now, a lot of that is is playing against USC's defense for like a ridiculously long game, a 17 drive game that went down to the wire. So like it a huge- It was so long that the first half went past halftime. That's how long that- That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And like also like like longtime listeners will know this. I kind of think Utah's secondary sucks. Um, And I also think that Oregon State's uh, defense is a total mirage. And so I sort of think that Mendoza's numbers are inflated a bit um, in that sense. But on the other hand, Jackson and Finley got to play North Texas. So like, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, at least comparing the three quarterbacks, uh, like I feel like there's no question, you know, Mendoza is the best quarterback that they've got on the roster. I've been talking for a little while. Rob, if I said anything you disagree with. Uh, no, I think I think we talked about this in the preseason podcast where we were, where I think you were asking about who I thought the starting quarterback was going to be, and mm. I, it you know it's played out kind of exactly what I thought the plot line would be before the season started. I didn't think it would come you know midway through the season for us to fi- finally figure out who our quarterback is for this year, um, but you know um, the the people I talked to and the other writers and whatnot. I think we put that little, the the event horizon basically is when Sam Jackson gets hurt against North Texas is probably mm. the moment that it threw all of this into flux where it forced Finley to play. He looked decent against uh, North Texas for the rest of the game. Then Sam wasn't a hundred percent for Auburn. So they started Finley. Finley didn't look that great. So they put out an injured Sam Jackson out there. He gets us, a score on that first drive. So he, you know, deserves another chance at the start. And then he plays against Idaho state plays decently well, but you know, Idaho state, and then we go to Washington and that debacle well, of a on. game Put happens. Put some respect on their name. It's Idaho proper, man. <laughs> Idaho. Sorry. It's the Sorry. Vandals. Idaho state is, yes. Idaho Vandals, is Vandals. Vandals. Idaho State's the Tigers. Yeah. Um, he was just and, shooting uh, some shade at our yes. PCC foe. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then, yeah, and then it became this thing of, is it going to be Jackson starting? Is it going to be Finley starting? And it just, it kept going back and forth. And then finally they said, you, I think, I think what the conversation probably was in the room was like, we gave these other two guys a chance. Like 
at this point, it's like let's let's see what Mendoza can do in a game. And they threw him out there, and he performed pretty dang well against Oregon State, or ranked Oregon State at home uh, on homecoming weekend. And then his first away away game is on the road in Salt Lake City, which is tough for any quarterback to play at. Uh, and then he comes home and plays against SC. And all three games, I don't, you know, you could see a bit of improvement. You can see that the game was getting a little bit slower for him. He was understanding his reads better. Um, but at the same time, like you see him out on the field and he's probably the type of leader you want at the quarterback spot. He's, uh, I, yeah, as I think Spav said that th- today or yesterday in his uh, pregame presser, he was like, um, Fernando has been a breath of fresh air. And I kind of feel the same way about, about uh, Mendoza being our quarterback. Yeah. I mean, just like it's, it's very clear watching him throw that, you know, he knows what he's doing. Like it's, it's a little difficult to describe on a podcast, but like, yeah, there are quarterbacks that you watch who are like forcing the ball uh, who are, or who are pushing the ball or who are like, you know, just biomechanically, you know, their throwing motion is like that. That dude's not supposed to be a quarterback. Yeah. Um, and then you watch dudes who are like, yeah, th- you know, th- that guy in between the throwing motion is correct so that he's getting like the the proper zip on the ball and also sort of you know uh he's he's placing the ball accurately despite you know pressure in his face like he knows what the read is you know he's getting the ball off and and like like uh, like i like i just finished up doing the film study on the usc game and like look usc was getting through the line like number 51 was beating number 62 on virtually every snap. Um, it just didn't. And then when number 90 came back, um, cause he yeah. was, he was out for the first half of the game, he was whipping number 60, the center, uh, you know, every snap, like every yeah. snap, but like it, it didn't really matter. Well, there's two reasons it didn't matter. First of all, USC is coached by a moron um, who was sort of effectively like blitzing on every play and and their linebackers were fooled by play action on every single play, every single time. And so like they were effectively blitzing or the linebackers would effectively sort of come up into, you know, the line. So there was no underneath coverage and every single play was, or, or with the exception of flag routes, which would be sort of the opposite of this, but like virtually everyone were sort of like slants or in breaking routes over the middle where it was like there's no underneath coverage because the idiot linebackers would come run zooping up and like look they were getting through the line and uh but it's like the the there's there's no underneath coverage and, and the way that the usc's like uh you know th- their over the top coverage works is like Mendoza just gets to see the receiver's numbers plant it right on him. And it's like, this is easy peasy stuff. Um, I'm not saying that he's a bad quarterback because of that. Uh, I'm just saying that like USC's are, is an idiot, you know, for not recognizing, you know, what was happening until sort of the end of the game where they finally f- figured it out, started rushing three, you know, and, and bailing out some guys into underneath coverage, in which case they, sort of the completion rate w- went way down. But anyway, like my, my point is Mendoza is good because he would be about to getting get plastered but his first read was always there and he would nail it even though he was about to get plastered which is like the a number one quality that you want in a quarterback you know like that he doesn't panic you know that like i know this is the throw i know that i'm about to get hit but my mechanics don't degrade even though i'm about to get hit i i will make the throw 
get hit. And from the ground, I will look up and see that my dude caught the ball. We got 15 yards onto the next first down, which is like, look, I watched Jackson and Finley. They did not have that quality. And that's that's been the difference. Again, I've been talking for a while. Rob, did I say <laughs> anything you disagree with? No, I think um, I think that's exactly right. I, you know, you look at Mendoza and one of my buddies who's a high school coach out here in in the Bay Area. Like I, I thought Mendoza's delivery was a little funky. Uh, it is. It's a little weird. He's he's yeah. really tall. Yeah, like, and he's he he five. actually kind of like has to bend over to throw. It's kind of funny. Yeah, but I, but what he was telling me was a lot of those mechanics and the style that he throws in is how quarterbacks are being taught now. Hmm. in in camps in the seven on sevens in the the traveling uh you know those those teams Mm -hmm. um that's like kind of the yeah that's the new thing that they're being taught to to throw you know mechanically so he's like it's not it's not weird it's just it it hasn't permeated fully all the way up into the cold drinks yet it's it's how you it's how despite having super long limbs he gets a really super quick release um if he if he winds up going to the nfl which i think is a possibility for him down the road um they're going to try to train that out of him because they're going to want him to look like justin herbert and throw like deep bombs (laughs) and have like a full yeah, extension of the ball as he yeah, releases. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because right now he kind of he cups the ball underneath and he kind of yeah. it looks like a sidearm, but it's not actually a sidearm. He's still throwing yeah. over his shoulder, but the ball's above his. He, he, it looks like a waiter that's holding like a tray, right? Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Kind of how three quarters. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah. But but I mean, the way that Cal's offense is operating right now, and also sort of the status of Cal's offensive line, like it's. Hey man, like I'm not trying to, to to denigrate him by by saying he needs to get the ball out to his first read. That's that does not count as me, like trying to make fun of him at all. Like it, it's he's doing the right thing, um, and, and like and when he's playing defenses that are stupid enough to to leave that open, like yeah, that's exactly how he marched down the field with a bunch of explosive or you know chunk yardage, fifteen to twenty yard passes you know, uh, against USC and frankly against Utah. Like I, I know, uh, I know, I know, I know about Utah, like, uh, uh, but anybody who watched film on Utah, like that, that, that secondary is suspect. And if you can just hold up against the pass rush, like you can, you know, pick the, that apart. And Mendoza has a lot of good passes against Utah. In fact, mm-hmm. that, that game was actually the thing that caused the light bulb more than anything else. I went, and then I went back to my notes and looked at some other stuff, but Mendoza's performance against Utah in rice Eccles is what caused a light bulb to go off over my head and caused me to actually write a somewhat different article than the one that I wound up writing and writing, um, or was going to write uh, and wound up predicting a different score for the game that Oregon, you know, wound up uh, playing against uh, Utah and wound up being, you know, pretty true. So uh, thanks, Fernando. You know, you really clued me in. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting about the dude uh, in an Oregon connection is he's like Mario Cristobal's nephew or something like that. Uh, I was joking a little bit. His dad, who I believe is Fernando Mendoza Sr. Yes, was also an offensive lineman at the University of Miami at the yes. same time as Mario Cristobal. I believe so. Yeah, they know each other somehow. Like, so that's interesting. Yeah, and it's crazy because we'll be playing, we're hosting Miami next year in our first year in the ACC. Ooh. Oh, uh, yeah, that schedule just came out. That's interesting. Yep. Assuming that deal holds up. Uh, <laughs> we'll, see how, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. You've beaten Crystal Ball before. You can do it again. It's true. 
Well, first of all, we we don't need to beat Cristobal. We just need Cristobal to beat himself. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. This, that's usually the way. So. <laughs> um, I got one. I really I just have one question for you about Mendoza. Sure. Um, which is uh, which actually relates more to the running game than anything else, which is that I saw him. They, uh, they are at times they are running a read option offense or, yeah. or a, a, an RPO offense. And yeah. at times I have seen him keep the ball and run it um, mm -hmm. at, at a bunch of other times. I mean, I've got a bunch of different plays on my tally sheet in which I'm like that read is a keep read fernando why didn't you keep the ball and run it and like your your running back just got annihilated by by the you know by whomever the defender yeah. uh, who was clearly out for blood for that dude rob do you do, do you know what's going on there is he is he either because there's one of two explanations really one is he's badly misreading those plays which is like hard for me to believe because he was correctly reading them like even in the same game and the other is that didn't actually have the green light to run yeah it, it i think uh it yeah i mean there are definitely situations where those are designed runs um mm -hmm. he's going to hand them off regardless of what he sees but also, like I, Nando's pretty athletic. I think uh, sure he looks six five, but you know he can still take off and run. Not to the extent I think Sam Jackson could do, but you know he he can get you the occasional like eight to you know ten yards on a on a quarterback keeper. But I don't think running and running that type of option offense comes naturally to him. Like I think he's he's definitely if looking at his high school as well i think they ran a bit more of a, a passing offense where he didn't really need to do that as much so i think that part's a still a learning curve to him especially because his freshman year he was learning uh bill musgrave's playbook which basically yeah. didn't have that at all so yeah um i think this is i would love you to ask me that question again in like another year and see if he's improved by then or maybe by the end of the season um but yeah i i I think it's, I think it's him, is Spavadol telling him, yeah, hand it off no matter what, but also him like because with the limited amount of reps he does that, it's I I think it doesn't come naturally to him to know when to pull and when to hand off. Running backs, um, you know I I don't really have. Uh, questions here about these guys performance i you know i i feel like i understand them pretty well uh you know from film it's really just an injury question because like the way that the usc game went down at the end of it it was like hey where'd all the running backs go yeah. um where'd all the running backs go like <laughs> did, uh, like it's... they they were down some real fumble kings by the end of that um what's going on yeah, I mean, we well, first of all, we didn't have enough bodies to start the year. Um, yeah, King, I mean, Cardwell's out, which is, breaks my heart. Yeah, um, uh, King and Guru then Doru, has, the the Purdue transfer too, right? Yeah, we just haven't seen him. We don't know uh, what this. I know Cardwell's out for the year. I think uh, Wilcox has said that, and then Doru mm. is just one of those we don't know. Um, we haven't gotten any updates from him. We did get our first look at Justin Williams Thomas. Uh, against SC at the end of the game. Yeah, he uh, just um, a couple of carries, but he didn't look bad. Yeah, doesn't look bad at all. I think he's going to be good. I think they expected him. They said he started practicing uh, a couple weeks ago before the bye. So the expectation was that we would start to see him after the bye. And that's 
maybe the situation forced him to play. But yeah, I, I fully expect him to get a lot more snaps going into that Oregon game. But uh, the Ott and Ifonse one is is the big question right now for you know the team. Um, Ott was held out, and then in the second half of the game, I think, and then I'm I was so I wasn't sure going into this week. I was like, mm, like, are they gonna are they gonna let him play or not? But I don't know if this is gamesmanship here, but they put out Ott out Ott out on the media banner today. Hmm. Um, so that's my like, okay, if he wasn't healthy to play at all, I don't think that they would be putting him out in front of, in front of media. Uh, but Hey, he's out in front of media and he's talking about playing in this game. So I, I think he's going to be ready to go. Fingers crossed. And, and then what about a Uh, that's a big question. I don't, I think, uh, Wilcox said, I mean, it's crazy because they both like basically disappeared almost the same time. Yeah. Like, yeah. If I say it's sort of the end of the the 10th possession and then uh, 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 odd at the end of the 12th possession. And, yeah. and and so but the I mean, Cal had 16 possessions so that, you know, they went for like yeah. four more possessions in which it was like, you know, it, it, it was Stradick and, and Thomas and Williams Thomas uh, and, you know, Stradick's a walk on. Yeah. Um, and, and it was like, mm, and, and, and I mean, you're right. Like, uh, you, you know, the, the, they're just down to like, you know, because of Doru and Cardwell and then Ott and then Ifonse, like they were, they're down, you know, JV and Thomas is a true freshman. Justin Williams, Thomas, I believe, you know, had spent is a, is a redshirt freshman and he's spent much of his time on college campuses hurt because he transferred from Tennessee where he was, you know, hurt at Tennessee. He only yep. played in a couple of games and then he was hurt and sort of day to day at Cal and you know we haven't really seen him um and then uh in and, and then like you know Stradick's a walk-on so of course we haven't really seen seen him at all so it's like uh, like uh-oh yeah. yeah yeah so I I think uh Thomas coming Williams Thomas coming back has been huge I think they they really like uh JV and Thomas as well who they've been using over the last few weeks on like jet sweeps and stuff, they've all they found a way to get him into the game um, at some point. And so he's going to be a big factor, I think, moving forward for the rest of the season as well, depending on the, the health of the rest mm -hmm. of the guys. But getting some of these guys back um, and then believing in Javian Thomas as a freshman to be able to play and getting Williams Thomas back, I think it, we, it was much needed. And we needed them probably way earlier in the year as well. The the guy that I would, I mean, the guy that I think that they really need back more than anyone else, to be, be perfectly honest, uh, more even than Jaden Knott, is Afonso. Yep. And, and the reason that I say that is that I, I think he's by far the best um, dude in pass protection. Um, I, I like because I, I think they need better pass protection uh, from, from the running backs. Like Ott just gets crushed. Like he's, he, he's, he's too tall. Like kind of the problem is that all these guys are too tall or in the case of JV and Thomas too skinny. Cause he's a true freshman. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, Afonso is like your classically built, you know, running back where he's like low to the ground and stout. And like th that guy can actually like do some, do some work in the pocket. Um, and like Mendoza needs it you know, with, with this sort of the status of this line, I'm going to ask you about the line a little bit, but like, yeah, that's, I mean, that guy's still TBD because Wilcox won't tell you anything. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I, I think to your point about Afonso as well, it's just, uh, 
you notice why he's a sixth year senior. Yeah. Like you can see the experience there. You you just he has little like just things that he's probably picked up playing and is I I believe that the all-time uh, leading rusher at Montana State. So hmm. like just he's picked up a few things here and there and the way he runs as well. It's there's just know-how there that's not going to be available to some of these other guys that just haven't played as much college football as as Afonso has. All right, tight ends. Hmm. First, in their capacity as blockers, we have seen we've seen mostly Jack Andrews, number eighty-seven. Yep, we've seen when they bring in a second tight end. The second tight end has been the North Texas transfer Escher uh, Alberting, number eighty-nine. Mm-hmm. We saw a little bit of uh, Andy Alfieri, and that's been pretty much it. Like I don't think we've seen JT Byrne, the Oregon State transfer. I think we might have seen him in a in a couple just you know, blocking plays, but yeah, overall it's, it's been those two guys. Okay. Now sort of as a matter of uh, receiving, I'll sort of group this in with the wide receivers. Here's the thing that's interesting. Like in the, if you look at it, the, the overall season numbers, it looks, you know, really skewed towards, you know, Jeremiah Hunter, you know, gets like almost all the catches and then Taj Davis, you know, gets the next in most. And then it's like, uh, uh, like, you know, then there's the next tier for a couple of guys. And then there's a third tier for a couple of more guys. And it's sort of like this, you know, step down distribution over like, like eight different receivers. Yep. Um, but, uh, in the Mendoza era, which is <laughs> which is three full games, you know, it's Oregon State, Utah, and USC. Um, all that goes out the window. Um, instead, it's it's four guys who are getting almost exactly the same amount of targets over those three games. It's you know, it's a little more for one guy in one game, but like if you look at those three games and sort of as a whole, it's four guys who are getting about 19 or so targets a piece and then nobody else gets targeted at all. Um, uh, and the four dudes are Andres, the tight end, Grizel. Mm-hmm. The the tall walk on who sort of looks like a tight end. He's got a tight end's number. So I have to squint and, and be like, wait a minute. No, <laughs> no, that's that's Grizel. And then Taj Davis and, and Hunter. But like they're more like they're more like two equals in a group of four rather than like the kings of a, of a group of eight. And like guys like uh, Monroe Young, number 14 and Hightower, number seven, their, their numbers have all fallen off. Have I got that all that right? Yeah, I think. um there's there's a bit of a connection there with Mendoza and some of those guys, particularly um, Jack Endries, because they both were basically running the. Th- oh, are they roommates? Well, they're not. I don't think they're roommates. Uh, but because they, they were- said that on the broadcast about thirty times. <laughs> Uh, but the big thing with them is that they were running the threes basically all of last year as well. Oh, um, there's so there's there's more connection there that because they've been working together for over a year. Uh, mm-hmm. Then and of course Trond is also a part of that group um, as well, and they've been built. They've built up this this repertoire that oh, looks the the scout team rebellion has <laughs> taken over Cal. I get it. Yeah, so that's that's basically the distribution there. I think the one thing that a lot of Cal fans were excited about when Mendoza came in is that he ha- now has the ability. Be- I think we put a little. Sometimes we put a little bit too much on the you know, the height or the wingspan or the hand size. But mm. 
like in terms of this in in this particular case, I think the height thing really does add up to him being able to throw over the middle. I think yeah, a yeah. lot of our passes over the last uh, the first four games skewed very much towards the outside, mm-hmm. which led to you know Hunter and those guys getting a lot more targets. But the fact that we're distributing the ball a bit more, you know, over the middle now opens up for those opportunities to get at Hunter um, a little bit more space rather than having the safeties and the corners basically running to the sideline because they know our quarterback is going to throw over the center or the guard at any given moment. Um, and so that's kind of what you're seeing here is I know Spav talked about that in the fall about going to the middle and using some of these bigger tight ends that they have, that they've had and injuries of course exploded into a really, really good pass catching tight end. And now we're kind of seeing the, the fruits of the, the labor from, from those guys and the hype that was kind of built of, Oh, we might actually have tight ends that can run rampant over the middle for us because we have guys like Jeremiah Hunter demanding some of the attention on the outside. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. We have a quarterback. Well, I mean, now. like in the U.S., I don't, I don't know. I like, I like I said, I just finished doing the USC tape before we hopped on. It's just like so prominent in my mind. It's just like how stupid. Like just like it was. I'm not trying to say that that Cal had you know take anything away from Cal's like 49 point performance because like that's it's awesome. Uh, in you know, but like USC sure was making it easy for him, and 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 Cal was correctly reading you know what usc was doing yep. um in terms of like leaving the middle of the field open um like over and just like just blitzing it like usc was just completely addicted to blitzing and playing man and it's like okay if you're gonna do that like you're just gonna leave these slant routes open all day long um and like okay free 15 yards like every pass like every single time like i mean it was just like like i mean i've got a dozen of them my tally sheet i gotta and i gotta pick only one of them to put in my article like which (laughs) one is the perfect one to you know to represent how stupid this was uh anyway um it's really the only observation that i have is that like if anybody's looking at the stat sheet and saying like oh cal's only got like one receiver who's named you know jeremiah hunter i'm I'm telling you under this new era like it's it's more like it's a circle of four um uh and yeah and they're all tall dudes right you know Andrews is six four uh hunter six two grizel six four taj davis is six one but he's like he plays bigger than that you know he's yeah. th- this ain't this ain't the munchkin brigade you know which you know for a long time cal has sort of a wide receiver problem you know, i thought were the low talent group a low foot speed group and like you had to put the ball right on their chest because like they couldn't go up and they couldn't win 50 50 balls or anything like that 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 ain't true this group is definitely capable of catching contested passes i don't think it's the most like talented group in the world but mendoza is clearly comfortable throwing it to guys who have coverage on them like mm-hmm. he does he's not he's not waiting for the scheme to like create totally wide open dudes and only hit a guy when there's like 10 yards of open space around him and he's standing there saying throw me the ball fernando you know nah he's throwing it you know, to a guy and confident in his ability to like, you know, to, to, to fit it into the window because he can do that. And these guys can catch the ball and they're big and they have a, you know, they, they got hands, which is like, yeah, 
hey, this is somewhat different for Cal. Um, I mean, not not I guess in recent years, but like compared to like Cal circa 2018, you know, the early years of yeah. Justin Wilcox. Like, yeah, this is sort of night and day compared to the wide receiver group that that Wilcox used, you know, was was dealing with. Which was weird coming off of the uh, the the Sunny Dykes era, but <laughs> here yeah, we are. Well, yeah. All right, let's talk about this offensive line. Uh yes. I still don't think this offensive line is very good, but I think it matters less. Do you know what I mean, Rob? Yeah, I I think this is the offensive line and defensive line are the two spots that I've had the well and the DBs. Are, are, but offensive line probably the, at the top. I'm just trying to figure out, like, are we, are we better? Are we, are we decent? Are we good? Or like, are we not? Like it, it's so hard to grade, um, uh, because it's mostly, you know, if you look at who's playing, it's the same guys as last year. Yeah, and I guess well, maybe plus this Barrett is, Miller, but like yeah. he sucked at Stanford and he's, you know. Yeah, so it's like maybe I mean it's... I grade him like he grades badly, but like it does like because of the way that I grade is that you get a negative mark on your tally sheet if you get beat, even if the play outcome is positive. Like if you get beat, but the quarterback still gets the pass off, I still give you a negative grade sure. for yeah. having gotten beat. Which is why, like, I think my grading system is way better than, like, people who are trying to, like, reverse engineer it from, like, well, a sack wasn't given up, therefore the offensive line protection must have been great. And I'm like, you moron. Like, that's, you know. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I think the the added thing here, I think, is having Mike Blesh actually has improved the offensive line play. Not because a lot of the individual talent has gotten better, but I think schematically, I think he's working with what he has to to be able to to generate particularly in the run game um just to be able to generate lanes for some of these or some of for some of our running backs to run mm -hmm. like the only game i can think of from last season right that where the cal's run game played exactly as they were supposed to and exploded like they were supposed to was that arizona game but when you look at this season there's there's plenty of games you could look at and going yeah the run game was good there 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 even though it's the same offensive line guys that we've had over the last two or, or three years um and but the pass games that's the pass protections that that's like a totally different issue right um and i that's where i'm gonna defer to your tape watching <laughs> well i mean well well i guess here's the narrative all spin about the 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 pass protection you can tell me whether or not it sounds crazy to you i mean i i know what i'm seeing on film and, and but let me extract the narrative from it which is that well i sort i sort of already said it but I'll, I'll i'll say it again which is that i'm seeing them get beat and they still get the negative mark on my tally sheet for having gotten beat but they hold up for like a second before they get beat. It's not like, you know, they're tissue paper. Yeah. And because, you know, Mendoza correctly reads the field and gets the ball out to his first read properly, which don't get it twisted. A lot of times when I say that fans get upset because they're like, how dare you call my quarterback a one read quarterback? <laughs> like, it's not exactly what I'm saying. Like, I have no honestly, I really have no idea 
what Mendoza's ability is to fully process the field and go down his progressions one, two, three, four, five, because like I've literally never seen him stand in a pocket and get that far down because like the pocket doesn't well first of all because he rarely needs to in my opinion he's played three bad secondaries and like why would he ever need to get to his fifth progression the the first or second one is almost always open (laughs) and second of all because this pocket just rarely holds up that long and so Mm -hmm. it's just hey my first read is open like and even if i wanted to get to my second read i don't have time to do that so off the ball goes just like so many different things in football having a competent confident quarterback Wow, I can't believe I said that without twisting my tongue. Uh, uh, you know, makes up for just about any problem that you have. <laughs> yeah. What I, what does baffle me though? It well, actually, I said I would give you a chance. Does that does that story make sense to you, Rob? I I think it does. I I think, uh, you know, the 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 difference in quarterback play changes how the offensive line looks like, right? Like, yeah, you looked at you looked at when Sam Jackson was was our quarterback and he would make our offensive line i don't know if it looked better but just because he's running out of the pocket so quickly that you don't get a chance to really see if the offensive line is being pushed back or crushed as much and but he but sam would get sacked outside the pocket Mm -hmm. because he his his natural tendency was just to wait for a downfield throw to occur and would wait too long for it and then would yeah. rely on his legs. Like that was the, I mean, thing. that's what I was seeing was that he's, he's waiting for the open guy. Way too much. Of, instead of like what Mendoza was doing, which is like, I know this throw is, is there. Yeah. I'm going to make it. And he's yeah. right. Because like, he has that knack, which like a quarterback has to have. Right. And I mean, I think this, I think Sam Jackson could easily have that same success, but then his thing was he could, he his legs could take him an open lane of seven yards, but he mm. he doesn't take it, and he wants the seventeen or twenty seven yard play to open up, mm. and that's what led to so well, many but, of these sacks you know, and, that I'm, backward but, plays. Hey, you know, if you can pass for twenty yards, that's the play. You know, right. there's a reason why you're not asking Tom Brady to run the ball. Like, <laughs> yeah, the run game is the thing that puzzles me. So, like, I am capable of breaking out. Uh, uh, per game numbers. I don't usually like to do it. I, I usually like to do it in the aggregate because uh, the you know the aggregate usually lets you smooth out some stuff, and also because mm-hmm. usually it doesn't really matter. Like you're usually a team's per play success rates uh, are determined by how good or bad that team is, and the opponent doesn't really move the needle much. Yeah. Um, the opponents move the needle a lot for Cal in their rushing efficiency. Um, they, uh, and like yards per carry, uh, rate, like they played absolutely God awful against Auburn. Their Mm -hmm. rushing (laughs) numbers against Auburn are some of the worst I have ever seen on a per play basis. And it was a lot. They ran the ball 38 times on designed runs, uh, against Auburn. Um, and it was terrible. 34% success rate, 3.6 yards per carry, 7.9% explosiveness, uh, meaning, you know, runs for 10 plus yards, like, like gross. Um, now, uh, uh, then here's another one, uh, Arizona state. I don't think Arizona state has a very good defense. They have mediocre numbers, you know, 51% success rate, 5.2 yards per carry, 16% explosiveness. Arizona state's defense is 
like so bad that just mediocre numbers like are it's bad to have mediocre numbers against Arizona State, you know, like that they should be, you know, closer to like 60%, you know. On the other hand, they go play Oregon State, 60% success rate, close to seven yards a carry, 25% explosiveness. They play Utah, you know, great defense. I kind of think they have a suspect secondary, but like great rush defense, right? Great defensive line, 64% success rate, 6.3 yards per carry, 29% explosiveness. I'm like, what is going on? They play. USC, terrible defense, right? USC sucks. 44% success rate, 13% explosiveness, even though they have like th like three long touchdown runs in a row, they just like stop being effective at some point and like, you know, can't carry the ball. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like, like I cannot predict at all. Like, I mean, I can just look at the numbers and tell you what the aggregate, you know, success rate is. The aggregate success rate is 50%. Like super like except you know and so then i'm like well can i look at the per game numbers to figure out what's going on maybe they're good against bad teams and bad against good teams nope they're bad against bad teams and good against good teams what the fuck like <laughs> what what's going on rob like i don't understand you know what that's a very good question uh the thing like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm like rushing through these games in my head right now, and like the biggest thing is, I think the Auburn game was just that was just weird everywhere. Yeah, but like, like I, I'm like I'm I know still... that game has a lot of turnovers, but the whole yeah. thing about looking at per play success rates is the like turnovers are high drama, but single play events. Sure. And so like getting rid of turnovers and looking at the whole is the whole point of doing it this way. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the I think for me, the Auburn game falls falls to when Ott got hurt. Mm -hmm. And then once Ott got hurt, I think that's when the numbers start to dip significantly. I'm still a believer of us winning that game if Ott didn't try to hurdle a guy and, and get concussed. <laughs> that um, was really dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And he hasn't tried to do so ever since, which is a good sign. Um, and then, you know, the SC game as well. I think we ran so well in the first quarter, like ridiculously. Yeah. And then as you were talking about, like they fell hard for the play action because they were so afraid yeah. of how well we were running in the first quarter. And then I think Ott and Infante going out totally turned those numbers upside down um, in the moments that were most needed because I don't think we ran that much in the second from what I remember. We ran mostly in the first, then we tried to throw a bunch on second yeah. or in the second quarter. Then we tried to go back to the run in the third, but then two of our guys never came back. And then the fourth quarter when we actually did need to run, we didn't have didn't enough running back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like... It, <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe the plot line does give you an apt description of why the numbers are skewed like that. Um, well, you know, it's weird. Like if I if I break it out by player, like uh, Ott's actually underwater. Like you know, his, his like rushing plays in which Ott is the running back uh, is the ball carrier are, are only forty nine percent successful. Running plays in which Afonso is the running back are sixty two percent successful. Like they should have Afonso carrying the ball more. Yeah. Uh, uh yet again a reason why that guy's yeah uh we'll uh, we'll find out on saturday i i guess um 
Uh, yeah. All right. The, the, uh, uh, during the USC game, there were two offensive line injuries. This is my last question about the offense during sure. the USC game. There were two offensive line injuries. Um, there, uh, 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 the, the left, uh, tackle or left guard, uh, Wyckoff, uh, mm -hmm. was out for a little bit and Swinney came in. I had actually seen Swinney pretty extensively earlier in the year, like against Washington, but yeah. then he disappeared. Um, and he came in, but then as soon as the next drive started, Wyckoff was back in. Do you know what the story was there? Uh, no, I think it might've been just a Nick. Um, okay. they haven't addressed it in any of the pressers. So I'd assume that it's nothing, it's nothing like to be worried. Um, which is why they're, they're not addressing it. So then the other one was TJ Session, the right tackle, um, who, who got hurt towards the end of the game. And then he disappeared until the very last play, the two-point conversion. And it was Braden Rome, uh, number 63, yep. who came in, who's been on the team forever. Like, I, I remember charting him back in, like, 2020. Um uh, and, uh, the very last play TJ session comes in for that two point conversion, the, the fateful one that saved Alex Grinch's job. Thank God. Sorry. He had to suffer that, but it was for the greater good. Does that mean he's, he's, he's back. They gave him a tour all shot and he's cool now. What, what's yeah. There? I think sessions is the same deal. I think both of those guys should be good to go by Saturday. Mm -hmm. Um, if they're not saying, you know, that they're out for a foreseeable time, then it usually means that they're just day to day. So that's roll out. That's so you're, what I expect. You're expecting the lineup to to yet again be Miller, Wyckoff, Driscoll, Vatikani session. Mm-hmm. That's okay. yeah, that's what I would assume. Well, Aaron, hate to say it, but the time machine is broken. I mean, this whole thing was running off the power of your cell phone. And obviously when we hit 1894, there's no longer cell service or Wi-Fi connection, so not gonna lie, I did not think this through. God almighty, Adam, what are we supposed to do now? I mean, we're in Eugene, Oregon in 1894. We could check out the very first duck game. Maybe it's a good thing. No, it's not good. Look, we've already been here for about five days, and the very first thing I learned living in Eugene, Oregon, is that shows have been banned that are quote-unquote unchaste and demoralizing and that's kind of the only kind of content we know how to make dude we can review every duck season as it happens even the children here are freaky then post it on the quack 12 patreon in the future i mean it's just really hard to not spoil you know tragic national events imagine it a weekly show dedicated to oregon football history with two charismatic time traveling stoner hosts we live in the most expensive house in eugene and it's a fucking shack and the most beautiful thing about it we can charge them a measly five bucks in the future and when we get it in the past we'll be freaking millionaires comparatively and i'm talking robber baron status baby Adam, I make bugs fight in a shoebox just to simulate television. All listeners would have to do is go to patreon.com slash quack12 and sign up for hundreds of hours of duck entertainment. But the hooch is good. In fact, it's kind of got me wanting to try my, my own hand at it. That's right. For a measly $5 a month, that's patreon.com slash quack12. Now let's go watch them lemon yellows give those hay seeds what for. And keep your eye out for Dr. Schroeder's Blueberry Wine.
Okay, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Woohoo! Um, so the um, where are we starting to hit today? Are we starting on the line? Are we starting on the back end? Where are we going? Let, let, let's start. Let's start on the line. Um, right. well, you know, for for like the the like I think sixth straight year, you know, in which I've been asking when's <laughs> this, you know, going to go back to being a three four the nose in the middle. Yep. And you're like, well, and you told me some some really cool stories uh, about dudes getting healthy and communing with the cosmos and so yep. forth. Yep. And then it, it hasn't happened. It's It's been a two down front, you know, yep. all, all, all season long. And with predictable results, they, they have a 44.5% success rate uh, against the run that, you know, they can't really stop efficiency runs. They can't stop third and shorts or second and shorts or second and mediums against the run. Because, of course, they can't. It's, it's supposed to be a three down front and they don't have enough uh, linemen to do so. Like, they, 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 I mean, really, my questions are, are sort of about guys' health because, like, uh, uh, I, uh, I, I, I stopped seeing Jadon Roberts. I stopped seeing number 96. Six Wilkins. I stopped seeing ninety nine Saunders. Um, uh, at some point, I uh, I saw number forty nine Long being helped off the field against USC. Do you know what's going on with him? Uh, yeah, I think Long's day to day. Some of the other names you mentioned, Ethan Saunders is also day to day. I don't think we've seen Saunders since. It's been a while. I think he's I want to say Oregon State, but it might have yeah. been Auburn. Yeah, but anyways. Uh, so like like at this point I've, I've really just been seeing number 98 burrell yep um a, a lot of long but then he got hurt uh you know in the last couple of weeks uh number 91 correa yep and then uh, some of stan mckenzie although not like lined up in the middle as a nose tackle it's been a two down front and then here's the one that really breaks my heart you want to know the defensive lineman who who grades out the worst on my tally sheet probably brett johnson Brett Johnson, mm. that really sucks. Like, yeah. and I mean, I, I can I can guess why he's been away from the game for two years because of like, like he was in a car accident. I was like, he misses a year and then he's in a car accident. Like, are you kidding me? Like, and he misses yeah. another year. Like, and he's playing with like a Cybertron arm. Like, <laughs> like the you know what I'm talking about? Like the like crazy yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like you've got to be kidding me with this dude. Like, this is not cool. You know. Yeah, I think the thing with Brett, too, is I don't know what it is at this point, but I do know early on in the year he was on a pitch count. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Yeah, that's the other thing. We don't re- we don't really see him until like the third rotation of the line coming in. Right. So I don't I don't know. I'd have to look at the PFF numbers for like the snap counts for if that's if that's increased over the course of the season or if they're kind of, you know, maintaining that line for him as he, just because this is his first season back after not playing football for two years. But I mean, it, it's like, it, it sort of feels like, and, and tell me if you think I'm wrong about this, but it sort of feels like, the, you know, the millionth straight year in which it's gosh, our, our structure shirt, you know, calls for three down linemen, but we don't have enough dudes for a three down front. So it's going to be two down front again. And the attendant consequences. I, yeah. I think that also goes kind of hand in hand with just how our defense has played over the last I don't know, three, four years ish is mm-hmm. it's been it's been very vanilla. It's been like we're yeah. gonna be they very gonna be... rarely blitz. They very yeah. rarely do like stunts or twists or anything. Yeah, we're gonna like, be sounding our for it. Yeah, we're gonna be sounding our or our foundations and our base and we're gonna do that well and we're gonna make sure that guys don't beat us beyond like, you know, the the occasional broken play that we're going to have to give up, but we're not, our thing is like, we're trying to not give up 
touchdowns. Like we'll give up three, like we'll give up field goals, but we won't give up touchdowns. Kind of has played all right through the through throughout the season, but then you know, you come to and then you lose Jackson Sermon, you know, for the season, mm. and I think that kind of turned around like because he's like the the just the steady rock that's in the middle of the defense, right? Like it, it's kind of the the whole Evan Weaver thing. You kind of just funnel everything to him, and he's probably going to make the tackle, and, and you're going to be all right with that. The issue. Or the the weird thing for me was I don't know if you saw this on the tape Hithel Day was against SC we started to get a little bit more exotic in what we were doing like a we little were, bit I yeah, mean compared to the last two seasons I would say um, we were sending cornerback blitzes I, I, like I would we, say it's like vanilla bean sure yeah it had little yeah, yeah, flecks yeah. of something in it yeah 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 it was it, but it it started to show up a little bit and I was like where was this? Mm. <laughs> Why couldn't we use this to help our help out our defensive line a little bit? Like, I mean, here's the thing that's sort of nutty about like Cal's defensive numbers is that like, I, I mean, I, I know what you're saying in terms of like, they want to play sort of sound, you know, uh, you know, assignment football. And they, they mostly do like they, they mostly, you know, limit you to, to pretty, you know, meager, to you know to, to pretty modest gains like I, and they do it by like not screwing up like it was it was is so appropriate that the most recent game that they that they played was usc because like usc's defensive philosophy is like totally the opposite it's like kill 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 it's super aggressive <laughs> it's like we're gonna come do, you know no you're not you're not allowed to get a four-yard stop route no you're not allowed to get a three-yard run you're not allowed to get anything we're gonna come at you in the backfield we're like gonna you know it's super duper aggressive and then they miss and you know our guys out of position you know because they, they got super aggressive and like dudes off to the races you know and they give up and they're constantly giving up big plays you know because of it like uh um and Cal's like, no, uh, you know, we're 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 gonna play play, you know, we're we're not gonna be out of position, you know, we're we're or we're not gonna, um, you know, we're not gonna be super aggressive. We're gonna play conservatively. It's a very conservative defense, and that you know, we're we're gonna you know make you march down the field, or at least that's the philosophy. And they're successful about like ninety percent of the time. It's just the last 10% because here's the bonkers thing, Rob. They've, uh, you know, in the aggregate, you know, excluding garbage time, excluding the FCS game, Cal's defense has given up about 2,400, a little over 2,400 yards on the season. Mm -hmm. uh, a little over 12, more than 50%, a little over 1,200 of those yards uh, come on 10% of their plays, one out of 10 plays, it, which are like mega enormous place like 70 yard place just like yep. bonkers in fact pulled these numbers down and i tweeted it out cal gives up 4.63 20 plus yard plays per game that's 81st worst in the nation they give up 2.5 30 plus which is 101st they give up 1.38 40 plus yard plays which is 102nd and they give up one 50 plus yard play every game which is 125th in the nation. Every game, they're good for a 50-plus yard play. <laughs> like, 
and then on top of that, a couple of twenties, you know, probably a 30 to 40 yard play and you know, like maybe another one somewhere in there too. It's just like, it's, and it's not like, cause a dude's out of position. Like the, it's not the USC style. Like I tried to stop you from getting a three yard play and I gave up a 50 yard play. It's, it's, it's because this team is made up of a bunch of low three stars and they're like they'll try to run with a dude on a post route and they'll get cooked like and you know the you know dude will just get beat and like Caleb Williams or whomever will just drop a bomb on him um like that you know that's what I'm that's what I'm seeing all right I'll stop talking Rob what do you think about what I've just said I just, I just want the record to to show that um if if I ever need to be uh, tortured for any type of information I want Hitler Day there to just read me uh, <laughs> sad Cal stats, and I will give up whatever you want. <laughs> I will give that up immediately. We should have done this on Halloween, actually. <laughs> do, do you think that way that I just characterized it, that the reason that they give up the massive play is not because they have an insane positional or discipline breakdown the way that usc does but rather because like uh, well the disciplined you know assignment sound way to play it is for this dude to cover this dude on this long route and then oops he can't do it because justin wilcox only recruited a bunch of low three stars uh, do, you, do you think that's a fair way to 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 analyze the situation i mean this is something that we've been talking about since the beginning of the season, which kind of bled in from last season as well. And like at this point, we're just trying to see whatever, whatever plot or like description of the events could explain what is happening. Hmm. Um, particularly because on the back end, like we're, where did the defense that we are, our back end that everyone was so afraid of playing week in and week out, like where did that go? And it's not like we had, I mean, Okay, look, look, caveat there is that the four guys that we had playing there, or five guys, including Daniel Scott, playing there for the last four or five years are all in the NFL, right? right? They're they're all playing in the NFL. So yeah. we had NFL caliber defensive backs. But it's not like these guys were, you know, highly rated four-star, five-star guys that, that we had, right? These are all guys that we coached up, um, and they were Sonny Dykes recruits mostly. Mm. Um, on the back well, end. Well, I mean, it is a different position coach now. Two, two yeah. defensive backs coach, uh, mind you. Um, and so I don't, we're, that's what we're trying to explain is like, is it the coaching? Is it that guys that we maybe took some gambles on ha haven't paid off? Like, you know, I, I'm sure you have it written down in your notes. Patrick Morris are, you know, one of, one of the big like highlight names from our transfer class, the San Diego State and Mo mm -hmm. um, All Mountain West Conference uh, safety, had a very very bad game against SC. Mm -hmm. I think I think eight eight missed tackles at some point, and yeah. at least two of those directly led to the touchdowns. Well, yeah, I mean, um, like he's he's a two star who's being asked to tackle five stars. Yeah, and so that's that's what I'm trying to figure out is like, is it is it really that? Is the talent gap becoming that much greater, or are we just not coaching up the guys that we want? Like, I personally think it's it's probably a mix of both, um, where we've probably struck out on some guys that we thought we would get, you know, higher up, and we had to settle on on some um, 
talent that may not be up to par in Power Five. And then I think also that we struck out pretty badly on uh in the transfer portal. Like Noel Williams, outside of Noel Williams, I think a lot of the defensive additions that we got in the transfer portal just haven't been what we expected them to be, or even close to just average pack pack 12 or, or power five player. Well, I, like we haven't seen, I, I don't think we've seen uh, Marcus Scott, the Mizzou guy. Nope. Uh, we, we, they've been playing Kalen Moore, the, the Colorado guy, Oregon got the other Colorado guy, uh, yep. uh Nico Reed, um, has yep. been working out pretty well and playing him as like the slot corner, you know, Moore doesn't really show up in my tally sheet that much. Uh, Colin Gamble's been hurt. Yep. Lumaja Hearns. I, I think he's been sidelined. I've only got him on my tally sheet a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's basically in a timeshare at the other cornerback yeah. spot with Jeremiah Irby with Noel Williams. Right. 100% has the other one, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Lou's also one that's exploded onto the scene as a freshman, and then just last year was nicked up all year, and then this year just hasn't looked anywhere close to, to what we saw of him as a freshman. And then they got a, a Juco, Matthew Littlejohn, who, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of, yep. um, I don't think he's a taker, Woody's hurt, right? Yep. And, and you know, that. That's the secondary. And I mean, I, I kind of think, you know, part of the issue is that like, you know, we, we just ran through like four you know, or five guys who, who just weren't on the team last year. Right. Yep. Little John McMorris, Noel Williams, Kalen Moore, Marcus Scott, you know, some of those guys haven't really been playing, but I, I sort of think like some of these guys who were, where's Craig Woodson, you know, where's wild Will Williams, where's Raymond Woody, where's Lumaja Hearns, where's Isaiah Young. These were all guys who were playing extensive minutes last year. And effectively, Wilcox has benched them for these new guys. Well, Craig hasn't been benched. Craig is the starting safety. Yeah, nonetheless, you know, all the rest of these guys, you know, like Isaiah Young had 26 tackles last year. You know, dudes barely played, right? Yep. You know, Miles Williams, 25 tackles last year. Dudes barely played, right? You know, there's, you know, Lumaja Hearns has been, as you say, shelved, you know, like, and instead, you know, Wilcox brought in all these, you know, new guys. And I think, you know, I, what I said over the summer was, you know, I think the way that I put it to you was just like, isn't this an implicit referendum that on on the on the dudes that he got that he was like you guys aren't good enough and yeah and i'm i'm looking elsewhere and where he looked to was g5 programs and bottom of the barrel power five teams because like that's where cal's drawn from gonna come down to a talent problem you know when they play teams that have more talented receivers and they and they give up 50 points to usc and i'm sort of like yeah that's what i thought you know and i'm trying to come up with like a different theory and i can't think of one no and i think I think in terms of like where we're looking for talent too, like with with this new age of like the transfer portal and and NIL stuff, like it's just it's just one of those things where we weren't competitive enough to be able to draw. Like playing time alone isn't the draw anymore. Yeah, right. Like it's that's clear as day now. So can you compete competitively anywhere any with any other any other category? Um, whether you're either a powerhouse football team that can get them the exposure to go to the NFL, sure, maybe that's maybe that's one. We're not that. Um, and then the other thing that it comes down, or two other things, is probably one is, is does he care about the academics and does he want like mm. a, a Berkeley scholar, a Berkeley you know certificate of a bachelor's once he graduates? Sure, maybe there's a couple of those kids, um, but those are far and few between in you know the high football talent world. So then it does come down to NIL, and I think that's 
probably where we we lost a lot of these like even accepting a phone call from us <laughs> like mm. it was just we're just not there to to compete with any of the higher tier um football talent that's available out there with that being a big part of how you recruit in college football now so like i mean we'll see if the the NIL collective has has gotten better i did hear that it you know we had a large push with uh, Ron Rivera over the last uh, few months as well, which has helped the NIL pool. And maybe that helps us be a little bit more competitive going into this transfer portal. But the last transfer portal definitely was not kind to us in, in that regard. I mean, that's sort of, yeah. I, I mean, like I have a hard, I have a hard time reading in it in any other way, but I mean, like, look, man, Cal controls like CRISPR technology and maintains the nation's nuclear arsenals. You, you should just like start, <laughs> you know, go bond villain on us. Like that's how you're going to raise the money. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, anytime a recruit comes in, we'll just show them Oppenheimer. Yeah, right. Just, <laughs> just going to sit in for a movie, kids. Uh, listen, we, we skipped over the linebackers. I, I, there's not a lot to, to, to ask you, you know, as because as you say, th this defense plays pretty vanilla. And so the linebackers, instead of, you know, doing super aggressive stuff that I have questions about, like they just sort of do linebacker, you know, uh, you know, fairly, you know, play the fundamentals. Uh, yeah. I just sort of have some injury questions. You already mentioned Sermon is out. I haven't seen Sergio Allen, the Clemson dude. Yeah, uh, I, I think he's out. He's a little bit further down the, the pecking order. On the other hand, like I hadn't seen a number 42, Nate Ruchena, like all season long, but then all of a sudden I did see him. Yeah, he was out for the beginning of the year and then hit, he made his return against SC. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that I was seeing that right. I, I had also been a little confused because I, I, I thought the dude that I've been seeing the most as a starter is the true freshman, uh, Uluave, uh, number 27. Do I have that right? Cade's been in there since Jackson's been out. Uh, what's up with that? You know, I, I did not think Cade would be the guy that came in, but apparently he's the guy that's made the biggest leap um, during the season. Um, I honestly thought if Sermon were to go, I think that the pairing that I expected was Sermon, Elarm, Zor as the starters, and then mm -hmm. them backed up by Ancelotus and Ruchena, um would be like the four-man rotation. But it's it's like totally changed with Sermon being out. It's like uh, Caleb's, you know, the entrenched starter. Uh, Cade has now starting next to him, and then Ancelotti and, and Ruchena are the the guys in the rotation now. So I, I forget was was Caleb Alarms or was he injured last season? No, uh, Caleb was um, Caleb was just one of those guys that they didn't really know where to to put him. He was he began his career here as an outside linebacker. And they moved him inside, and uh, I they raved about him in the spring, and then come the fall, he definitely exploded in camp into hmm. yeah he's going to be that guy. Um, they they talk about how much time he spent in the weight room, in the the meeting rooms, like talking to coaches, trying to absorb as much info. I think they said I think I Wilcox or one of the defensive coaches. Like easily the most improved defensive player on the roster. Um, well, I mean, if he made any improvement at all, like, he didn't record a stat last year, so of course yeah. it's to be the most improved. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy because they're be at this point with Sermon out and with Sergio Allen, the only four star in the room from Clemson, not playing. Uh, you know, they're two starters, Alarms Or and the true freshman Kate Uluave. Like, they're two guys who last year did not play college football 
Meanwhile, guys who were available for all this time, but who played a lot in the past are basically not playing. Muello Iacefa, Blake Gonzalados, Hunter Barth, like, nope, sit on the bench, you guys. And then Nate Ruchena, who I hadn't seen, but you just clarified was injured. So I guess we understand why. Yeah, it's just sort of, it all seemed like very upside down in terms of like what your level experience is versus what your playing time is. Yeah, I think... uh that's one of the things, at least with this coaching staff, is they're going to put out whoever they think can play. Sure. Sometimes those decisions are correct. Sometimes <laughs> um, they are not. Uh, I personally think in terms of the inside linebackers, I think uh, Sermon's done a pretty good job of evaling who he thinks it could be the the starters and who are playing. And oh, So he's coaching from the re- recuperation table? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Caleb Elarmzor has been – Probably the just one of the most like, oh, wow, I'm we all like him <laughs> like he's hmm. I think he's going to be good for us for the next few years, um, just being a redshirt sophomore and and being that inside linebacker. So I think we kind of have an heir apparent to, you know, um, the last few years of having someone like uh, either like a Jackson Sherman or an Evan Weaver, or Jordan Kanasic. Like we haven't had a guy that can kind of do everything. Um for a while and i think we'll we're gonna have that with caleb for a bit well a guy who can do everything that describes you rob you you've done the smart (laughs) things on this podcast breaking down cal for us you've done the dumb things with us like play duck dnd and now we're just gonna have to think of something else to get you back on the show sometime oh yeah it's i'm gonna miss this i mean we could we could both make the playoffs that's one thing that could happen Sure, sure. Yeah, and then expanded playoffs. Who knows? You know, you guys win the Big Ten, and we'll win the ACC. And hey, man, I've been watching ACC football. I don't. Yeah, like I'm. Conv- I've already convincing chance. myself. Yeah, I'm already convincing myself of like a six, like six conference wins out of like an eight conference with uh, eight conference game schedule. Like the Hell hype yeah. is already building for me. <laughs> hey, there you go, Cal hype. That's good news. Well, if you if you beat us too, I mean. I offer this to everyone, but really I'm offering, if you completely destroy uh, our world by beating us this Saturday, please come back on the pod. Just gloat as much (laughs) as you want, Rob. Just one final victory lap for you. Yeah, I will definitely take that up. Yeah. Well, uh, once again, uh, Rob Wong, Rob 11 H-W-A-N-G is what you need to be following on X or Twitter or whatever but actually you need to be going over to write for cal and you need to subscribe to that newsletter do whatever they're telling you to do or selling you do it all and then listen to the california golden bear cast this is all stuff you simply have to do even if if it's a team that's no longer in our conference uh do it for our old friend rob and then um, addicted to quack at Hitler Day one at quack 12 podcast all these things it was a pleasure talking to both of y'all and um that being said quack quack uh rar go ducks go golden bears see you next week everyone